Today on the Kyle and Kasnoff Show, we have a new World Series champion. The Browns had a front office head coaching shakeup. Plus, we talk about all the happenings in basketball, in hockey, in the NFL, per usual. Let's get it started. All right, welcome back to another edition of the Kyle and Kasanoff Show. This is probably going to be our best show ever because the Red Sox are the are the 2018 World Series champions. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a really great feeling. Um, it's a feeling that me being a 20 year old from from Metro Boston has been accustomed to for really my entire life. So I mean, like, but this one, like. While I do love all Boston teams, I, I love them all. Like the Bruins, I care less about. But hey, don't hate on hockey. Like the, I don't know. It's just like, it's it's just like, with the amount of sat- like saturation we have in terms of sports coverage in Boston, like the Bruins just kind of get lost in the shuffle. But the Red Sox are my first love. There, it really is a love affair between me and the Red Sox. Just the ups and the downs. And I think the story of this 2018 Red Sox team is the fact that there really were no downs. Like, this team was... Well, the, didn't they have a little slide in early September? Maybe. You you could call it that. But this team never lost more than three games all season. They're, they're the only team in baseball to have that not happen. So, like, when you talk about a slide, it was never really that bad. Like, this is a team... Why are... They were the wire-to-wire best team in baseball. They were the first team to 10, 20, 30, 40, 60, 70, 80, 90, and 100 wins. They were the best team in baseball all season long. After, like, honestly, their lowest point of the season was probably opening day when they blew a ninth-inning lead to the Tampa Bay Rays, who then nobody really expected anything of, and they lost 6-4. After that opening day loss, they kind of— they gathered themselves, and they would go on to win 17 of the next 18 games. That one loss in the middle there was the Joe Kelly fight game. So, like, that's, a, that's an incredible start to the season. And really, that, that crazy run there ended with a no-hitter in, in Oakland. Like, just absolutely insane. That's how they started the season. And people were like, obviously, like, they're not going to keep up this crazy 17-2 and pace um, at the start of the season. But they never really let up. Like, they're... Like, they lost the division lead in June for a couple days, but I mean, after that, it was pretty much it was pretty much set in stone who was going to be your AL East champion at least. And then we get to the playoffs, and people are doubting them a little bit. They're the underdogs in most of the games that they played, believe it or not, despite them winning a franchise record and the most wins since the 2001 Seattle Mariners at 108 wins. Um, they're somehow still the underdog for the, most of the Yankee series and most of the Houston series. Um, and honestly, like I can pretty much just press that Staples that was easy button on this postseason because really we just like I know people will say like it wasn't as easy as it looked, but I mean gentlemen sweeps in all three series as I predicted, mind you. I said a, I, okay. I, let me never just clarify. This- I first of all I don't want you, don't rub it in on me. I agreed with you that I thought it would be a gentleman sweep sweep first of all. Well, we also disagreed on what exactly James okay, was. Okay, and my version happened. They lost on the road. They're one game. Well, I mean, I 
I kind of thought that would happen too. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> that is a gentleman's sweep if you ask me. You got to let the home crowd, they sink it in, you know, one game in the World Series they get to win. Like, okay, the Rangers in 2014 when they sadly lost the Stanley Cup final, right. they, they won their one game at home and the, all the Woo! fans got to go party, Woo! New York City, and then they lost back in LA. And that is a gentleman's sweep because you're, I mean, in, in like basketball and hockey where it's like 2-2, two, two, it's 2-2-1-1-1. Two, two, it's like a lot easier to do the gentleman's sweep. In the NBA sweep. Finals, it's 2-3-2 two, 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 two now. They switch that? But that, they that switched be... it back. Uh, I don't know if it's like that consistently, but I, I know when Boston played LA in the finals, it was 2-3-2 two, two because of just the travel. So that was that was 2008? And 2010, yes. Yeah, so it's... I, I don't know what it was this year because the, cause the... it's like the Warriors sweep every year anyway, so we never even get to that 1-1-1 one, one, one at the end. So the most, the most recent <laughs> ones have been 1-1-1 one, 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 to my knowledge. but it's It's also crazy that... The Red Sox played more road games than they did home home games in the postseason. <laughs> they they had home field advantage throughout the postseason, and they played more games on the road than they did at home because they just clinched every every series on the road. <laughs> like it's it's crazy to think about. And they lost two of their games at home. Like they didn't play that many games of family this postseason, really. Um, like honestly, it's I'm sad it's over because it just went by so fast. They just blew right through. Like it, I was, it does actually seem a little early for the end of baseball. Yeah, it's not. It, we didn't come to close to November baseball. Yeah, sometimes you get like a little November second baseball. Yeah, I mean, I know that the Red Sox, I believe they won on, on Halloween night in twenty thirteen, but that also went six games, so it was a little bit longer. They played the Rockies, correct? One, like I want to say they played in 07 against in the 07, Rockies. In yeah. 07, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I remember watching that, and I think that one went pretty late because I think it was snowing. In one the game, like not like fully snowing, but I think there was like some flurries that I like they were, that they were the, picturing. The, the only place in baseball that 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 could happen is is in Denver, and like like uh, well, in well I, rem- I I remember that it was the Rockies, not like that. I don't just I'm not saying it was snowing, so it must have been there. I, I remember. No, 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 no. Like, but like it's believable because they were playing yeah. the Rockies. I, I mean, I people do forget saying. that. Like when I was a kid, I was like kind of cared about baseball. Okay, there you go. <laughs> but um, but yeah, really, this is just. This is I I don't know I've been so amped ever since they won like this is a this is really just an appreciation show. For do you want do you want to tell our listeners what you did in celebration at three thirty in the morning? <laughs> in last celebration, night? so I, I really I couldn't sleep for a variety of reasons. We don't have to get into it, but mainly I was just really really amped up and I just couldn't like I was I was emotional. I was I was overjoyed. It Were was just, tears shed. Tears were briefly shed when when Joe Castiglione did his annual like like end of end of the season like he like he reads out like this this long poem about how baseball like it begins in the spring as as all else does and it, and you and, it, and you fall along all summer and then as the leaves change that's so <laughs> like, sappy it's so it's so i don't know it just it, it's a real tearjerker it gets me every year but it, it was extra special this year because it was following a world series championship and i'm sitting there in bed and i'm th- i'm just i'm thinking about all the memories that this team has brought me all season cuz baseball like unlike a, like it's just the season is so long and i, I watched at least part of i could say w- with absolute certainty at least probably 97 or 98% of all of all games this season what, like, you think you watched at least an inning of 97 or 98 games all season 97 or 98% percent yeah that's what i meant yes, sorry believe, yes so you're saying i tuned in you're saying you tuned in to at least to all but a handful of 140 games Red Sox games. Correct. That's insane. So like going through that for an entire season and having like really winning the World Series, it's less 
of of an accomplishment like on the field as it is for me because of the amount of time that I spent <laughs> watching it. It's like okay, that was all worth it. Okay, <laughs> okay, they okay. ended up winning. Tell our listeners what you did though. So it's it's three thirty in the morning, and I'm I'm like I have to celebrate this with with someone. Unfortunately, no one else was awake. <laughs> but you know who actually was awake was was my was WEEI, the local radio station in Boston, which is like the big Red Sox radio station, and they were doing an all night an all night Red Sox review show uh, following the World Series, and, and like people were calling in whatever. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna call in. I've never called in before. I got some stuff on my mind, and I call in, and it it couldn't have gone better. <laughs> like I'm, I'm literally just having this conversation with this with this radio host on my phone at 3:30 in the morning about the Red Sox <laughs> for for like. 20 minutes and it lasted till about 4 a.m it lasted until about 4 a.m like it just just cr- crazy like it couldn't have gone any better i'm like why have i never called in before like that was pretty great i might become a regular <laughs> on the on the wei show but uh should should we call them together one time and you will do a little uh like good cop bad cop but you'll be like be like a smart cop dumb cop i mean they're on they're on air right now it's wei late night right now <laughs> <laughs> we could technically go on hold right now um the radio show within the radio show. Can I, can I ask a question? Here's what I want to ask you. Are you concerned about the future of this Red Sox team? They had the highest payroll in baseball this year, and they've got a lot of guys who are up, who are going to need extensions, who, who, are just, who could walk if they want to. No. Okay. Here's why. They're only really, like, they have a couple free agents this year. Craig Kimbrell is a free agent. Nathan Evaldi is a free agent. Steve Pierce, Ian Kinsler, Brock Holt. Drew Pomerantz. Those are your free agents. That's a lot. But I think, like, I think Evaldi is the most valuable, and I'm sorry, and Joe Kelly. I forgot Joe Kelly. I think for this team, you need to re-sign Holt, you need to re-sign Evaldi, and and, and you need to re-sign Kelly. I think Joe Kelly becomes your closer in 2019 if they're smart about it. I think they'll let Kimbrell walk in and find money elsewhere. What about Pierce? Pierce, I think, is gone. Honestly, I, I think he's gone. I, I think he got hot in the postseason, but he's at the same time he's thirty-five. Like I don't see them investing in him long term. Um, they still have Moreland. Um, I, I don't know. I, I see like the core of this team is intact at least for next season. Here's Sale, my question. Here's my sales question. up at the end of next season. So really, it's a it's a mystery after that. Here's my question. Pierce, let's say one year, fifteen million. We have him back. It's just about whether or not they want to give him that money. Like I think that money is better spent with Avaldi and Kelly. I think honestly, like he's not as vital to the offense as as meets the eye. Sure, he was the most valuable piece of the offense in the postseason, and, mm-hmm. and he's a he'll go down as a folk hero for all time in Boston. Like uh, it's just like, and he and he's a signing in in June that nobody thought anything of. And like, really he, he kind of flew under the radar for most of the season. And, and he finds himself hitting, hitting three hole in the world series, hitting multiple home runs in in the game clinching, um, in the series clinching rather game five. Um, but I think, I think net, like this team, the core is intact for next season. And then you have sale up, you have Mookie bets up, um, price this year has his option, but I, obviously he's going to pick up his option at this point. Uh, Cause why not? He's getting paid. Th- he'll get 30 million next year. Um, but also, I how think do, it, how do I get an option for thirty million? Because I would like to pick that up. Right, exactly. I for like, this podcast, I like to actually. pick it up too. My mailbox is thirteen ninety nine. If they want to mail it there, um, <laughs> I, I can go pick it up at any time. Um, but um, it also, I think it's important. I think I have to point this out briefly. Obviously, it really isn't important at all. But 
ESPN in their way too early 2019 MLB power rankings. The Red Sox are fourth. <laughs> behind who? The, the f- they're fourth behind the three teams that they steamrolled in the playoffs. Behind that, the Yankees? They're behind the Yankees? Behind the Astros, the Yankees, and the Dodgers. They're behind... How, how is that possible? We just beat all three of them. Like, I, I don't... Like, that's that's criminal. I don't know who who is ranking that. I don't know if they're basing it off of... I But I... I think it's criminal because they're basing it off of the team as it's currently constructed. Uh, it would make sense if they're predicting that, say, the Dodgers land Bryce Harper or the Yankees land Manny Machado. I could kind of see that, maybe. But this Red Sox team just won 108 games and just steamrolled their way through the playoffs. How are they ranked fourth? Heading I'll, into next I'll tell season? you this, by the way. I bet the, I bet the Red Sox like that they're, ranked, that they're ranked fourth. A team that flies under the radar, a team that's the underdog, even though they know they're the best, that's a team that's got something to prove, and that's a team that wins the World Series. A, a lot of the time, a lot of the time you see these teams that are really good. Look at the Washington Capitals this previous year in the NHL. No one was saying the Washington Capitals are Stanley Cup team. No one, like Obviously, fans were like, our year, whatever, but like none like the real hockey guys were like, the Caps are going to do it, the Caps are going to do it. And it's the first year in like a decade that no one was saying the Caps are going to do it. And you know what they did? They did it. They did it. Caps here. But the thing is with that, I I remember seeing at the end of the NHL season, the Capitals were number one. They had just won the Stanley Cup. They they proved themselves as the best team in hockey at the time. No, no, and you should. The Red Sox are the best team in baseball. They're number one. No, I agree with you. I think it's ridiculous, and I think that the media has a lot of these biases where like they want some teams to be good. Almost, like it almost seems like a. Like they like a lot of like ESPN especially because they do kind of have power. They have a lot of power in the sports world, mm-hmm. and they want to have the stories and they want to craft them as early as possible, right? Right. So like, obviously, like power rankings aren't a huge story, but like you know, if if Joe Buck's up up there next September and the and the Red Sox win again, let's say, and he's like, oh, you know, to start the season we had them six on their power rankings. Who saw them getting this far? And of course, all the fans would be like, "We did. They won the World Series last year." But it's a story that you could talk about, and especially in those—I mean, I guess for baseball, those long winter months, you got to talk oh, about yeah. something, right? Exactly. And like when I made my baseball predictions for the Spectator back in March, way back when in March—that's the uh, Hamilton College Student Newspaper, right? And I, I made my—I made my predictions. I. I predicted the Astros to win again because I, I like on paper I felt that that was the best team this season. I didn't expect the Red Sox like e- even going into the playoffs. I felt that the Astros were the best team in the in the American League, despite the fact that they won five less games than the Red Sox did. And going into that series, I I was like, yeah, I think the Astros can do this. But when I when the Red Sox got over that Astros hump and and they just outplayed them like I I just don't get it like the Astros just didn't show up when they got over that hump I knew it was over and I knew that they could take whoever came out of the NL what I want to say is that I looking back on my predictions that we did on the show I want to say probably like season one episode like six or something like that maybe five yeah uh, we'd have to check the tape I'm pretty sure I said Cubs Red Sox and Cubs to win it all obviously I was wrong about that but you know for kind of a baseball amateur that means amateur in a I don't know. You know what I mean. Uh, I get you. I I feel pretty good about 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 nagging the Red Sox. Now I don't think it was that hard to pick them, uh, and I definitely think I was persuaded by the fact that you are literally in love with the Red Sox. But uh, I I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna clap it up for myself here. Yeah, I mean, you want to join me? You want to clap for me? Yeah, uh, I'll give you a hand. Uh, I'll give you a hand. But like. Um, yeah, obviously, like obviously, it's I'm sad it's over. 
it's a long it's a long winter without baseball. But um, regardless, I'm I, I've already purchased my tickets for spring training, um, so I'm I, I'm still excited for this future. The core is intact. I think that there's more titles to come. I'm I, I, I'm born and raised in Title Town, and I've now seen 11 championships in my lifetime. That's so. ridiculous. I want to say a big congrats to you, though. Obviously, respect. I, I mean, obviously not baseball, but like if I ever get to see the Rangers win the Stanley Cup, I might cry tears of joy. And so I get how you feel getting to watch your hometown team win it all. We're going to take a quick break. Just watching Coach Vance Joseph, and here he is having the time of his life. All right. Welcome back to the Kyle and Kasanoff Show. We're going to start in Cleveland, where it's a tough week to be a professional sports coach. Though, not for the Cleveland Monsters of the AHL. Their coaching team is still intact. That's right. Or the Cleveland Indians. Oh, yeah, I forgot about them. Okay. (laughs) They still exist. Yeah, okay. (laughs) We're talking about the Cavs. We're talking about the Browns. We're going to start with the Cavs. Ty Lue, 0-6 they started. Who's surprised? I think literally no one. Well, like, I I honestly... Like, this isn't even really news to me, because last I heard, the coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers left and went to Los Angeles back in July, so, yeah. you know? and the GM, too, and the owner. Right, exactly. So, like, I mean, like, it's almost disrespectful firing coach six games into his head coaching career, right? I mean, like, he's only really coached for six games, and off he goes. Like, I feel like they should have let him, you know, have have a little bit more time with this with his roster, you know? I mean, I don't know. He just, he, he didn't get any time. He just didn't get any I mean, time. It's actually insane because I, I guess my question is what did they expect? Everyone knew that Tyron Liu is not a great coach and everyone knew that he's not really a great leader by most people's observations. And everyone knew that the Cavs team is so bad. Like, I don't think anyone expected them to be any better than 0-6 at this point in the season. I mean, maybe 5-1, and but like, you get the drift. I mean, I'm sorry, one and five. Right. I mean, plenty of teams start hot and then obviously fade, but like this Cavs team started a lot worse than what like people thought. And now Kevin Love like supposedly could be out for more than a month. And he's really their only like bright spot. Like, and it, it's, it's crazy to think because this is a team that's been to four straight NBA finals, like with largely the core that's like with largely the same core from each of those finals appearances look let's not kid ourselves i know you don't like lebron james but you have to recognize what he has done for that basketball team lebron james is the greatest basketball player to ever live he's he's the greatest basketball player to ever touch a basketball and we don't have to get into that but like i don't care i don't care how many times he loses like i'm sorry i'm sorry he just he just is like the celtics we could beat michael jordan in the 80s we could never get over this lebron james hump and now he's gone to la so we're never gonna get that chance ever again because he's never gonna get back that's okay i wanted to say Guys, this is really big of Kyle. You do not understand. Like sometimes we're like we're just talking normally, and I was like, "Oh, do you see LeBron James do this?" Kyle just goes, "I hate LeBron James. He's the worst." Just uttering his name makes me mad. But I mean, he's just I, like I, I find him condescending. I I don't know. I just hate his oh, personality. Did you, did you see what Stefan Marbury said? No. He basically called out LeBron James so hard. He said, he said, you only, he basically said, you only talk the way you talk when you're mic'd up because you know you're mic'd up. He said, like, when you when the camera's not on, like, you're not the guy you are when the camera's on. He basically said, you're fake. Which, by the way, props to Stefan Marbury for getting his name back in the NBA drama. Right, exactly. That's, that was clearly his goal there with that, with that take. Um, <laughs> Did you ever, do you know of, of the Starberries? 
No. Well, okay, so Stefan Marbury, he had these shoes. They were called the Starberries. They were $15 basketball shoes. So, so he, because he wanted everyone to be able to have one. Oh, you know what? Hair. Actually, I did hear about this. Yes. The I think that's actually kind of noble. I like that. I first heard about that in econ class one day. I might have to acquire a pair just for, for all time's sake. I don't, I mean, I think you'd have to get one off eBay or something like that. Yeah. But, ba- I mean, back to this team and really this city that's falling apart a little bit, except for I, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, I think that they're probably going to be better off. I think that Ty Lu was never going to be a great coach, especially not without a star player. You know, like LeBron really did run that team, and he single-handedly got them everywhere they won. They went. Yeah. And Cleveland will never be so electric. Well, all I'm saying, okay, I'm just saying, LeBron James, he, James, he signed a four-year deal in Los Angeles, right? One year to tank, two year to tank, three year to tank, fourth year to put it all together. Fifth year, LeBron comes back. One more championship in Cleveland, retires a king. It's also it's also it's so interesting that he signs this three four year whatever he signed four year deal with L A because he'd never he never signed that with Cleveland he 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 was he was rolling off of a bunch of one year deals he would never commit to Cleveland. Well, there were two reasons for that. People said they said the first reason that he wanted to get the most money possible, and he knew that every year it would get the money would get better and better. But also, he held the team hostage because every year was the question of is he coming back essentially? Yeah. Because, no, I, like, I get like that. it's just all this turnover of building these, like, one-year rental rosters, essentially, like, of all these aging veterans. So that essentially, like, you, like you're banking on, like, when, when LeBron leaves, like, it, it, you it's just— You tear the whole place down. It's over. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And um, I think it is over. But all I'm saying, what I documented, if we're still doing this pod in five years, I'm going to be so right. What are you going to be right about? I just said it. I said, look, LeBron signs four years— in in LA, that gives him a fifth year back in Cleveland at when they've got you know three first overall picks. Could he maybe pull a a Michael Jordan? He he finishes out his contract in LA. He retires for like three or four years. No, I don't. Cleveland think he... Cleveland burns to the ground in, <laughs> in, the, in in that time. They're playing in an on an outdoor inner city court because their arena no longer exists. And LeBron, he makes his great walk down, down I-90 and he, and all, and all, all the followers, it's like Forrest Gump. He has a beard at this point. He's completely out of shape. He's in sweats and he walks onto the court. He's like he, uncle Drew. And he gives him one more year and, and he turns, he turns that whole team around once again. Um, I, I don't know. Like that, it would it would be he he'd go down as the greatest athlete of all time. <laughs> Here's the be, thing. Here's the thing about LeBron is that he's too much of a businessman. He is so smart in the sense that I mean you talk you like to talk about off air. We talk about a lot about like how much money guys make. And and Kyle always says he goes look. I mean once you have X amount of money, you you don't need to make any more money. You don't know what to do. LeBron James doesn't think like that. If you're smart about it, LeBron yes. James is. I mean I don't think that he lives an insanely extravagant lifestyle. At least not in the public eye. But like. He, he's got to make so much money. He's got a lifetime deal with Nike, right? Mm-hmm. He's got, I mean, a huge contract in the NBA. He'll be a billionaire by the end of this Lakers deal. He's signing TV deals left and right, movie deals. Yep. Um, he's producing shows he's now. He's got a, what, what's it, Clutch Sports with a K? Clutch Sports. He's, he's investing in Blaze Pizza. Like He's got Uninterrupted on Bleacher Report. I mean, um, this guy This guy is like, he is all, he's all set. He has that like HBO show, whatever, that like barbershop The barbershop top. show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know they, uh, you know what? Uh, uh, God, what's his name? Uh, Nick Saban. Nick Saban did like a similar show at Alabama where they talked to guys in the barbershop and they and LeBron. I think right, sued but then him. it was re- like then they realized that 
that barbershop concept had already existed before LeBron did it. Yep. So LeBron had no right to sue for it because it had already existed in a previous iteration. Um, yep. All right, let's 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 talk football and let's start let's start with uh We're, we're just staying in Cleveland. We're just staying yeah. in Cleveland here cuz again, like we're talking head coaching firings. Can I just say this by the way? So uh, a few weeks ago on the show, I quoted Mike Florio and I said Mike Florio said on part of my take uh, at a Barstool Sports podcast uh that mid-season Hugh Jackson's out, they're going to appoint a guy interim and then, you know, next year, you know, uh John Dorsey's going to get his guy. Week eight just ended. Hugh Jackson's out the door. So props to me for doing research. Yeah, but his guy is not Greg Williams. No, no, no. But Greg Williams' guy. interim guy is an interim guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. It, it, it was very clear that he's going to get his guy to start next year. So Hugh Jackson will never have another head. At least he's going to coach high school football. He'd be lucky if Nobles hired him at this point. And Nobles is really, really bad at football, if you know anything about Nobles. It's a bunch of skinny white kids out there who can't who can't move. <laughs> like Noble, Nobles is a prep school in uh, in Dedham, Massachusetts. Dedham, Massachusetts. Dedham, baby. Massachusetts. Um, yeah, never gonna have an NFL product come out of there. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, Hugh Jackson. He finishes what three and thirty six or something crazy like that. Um, that sounds about right. Three thirty six and one. Because I, I think he coached for forty games. Well, so he, I mean, the thing about Hugh Jackson is that like I think that I would describe it as just a remarkable lack of leadership. Watching Hard Knocks, right, which I, like I've watched religiously, I have done for years. Watching Hard Knocks, the only leader in that room on the coaching staff was Greg Williams. And so for me, I fully anticipated Greg Williams to be the interim guy. Greg Williams of Bounty Gate fame, let's not forget. I'm I'm not familiar with what Bounty you're Gate. Talking. You know, like the it was back. In like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, when he when he would pay his guys for putting bounties out on players. Right. Yeah. Okay. So not great, but. Also, like I don't know, that's a guy who loves his job. There's, there's. <laughs> yeah, clearly. <laughs> no, okay. Uh, there's a in 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 one of the episodes of Hard Knocks this year uh, when it's like the weekend where they have to like go home and watch a film and make cuts. Uh, it's like before the meeting and basically it's a it's video of like Todd Haley and Greg Williams talking. Todd Haley also got fired today, uh, and or yesterday, Monday. Uh, Today it's still Monday. Well, but it's coming out t- tomorrow. Okay. But, uh, For those of you listening, yeah. it happened yesterday. Yeah. Uh, what am I trying to say? Yeah. And basically, Todd Haley walks in. He goes. He goes. When I read your notes, I could tell you don't have a life outside of football because all you did was watch film all weekend. And Greg Williams just goes, "Yep, I don't do much else." <laughs> I was like, I was like, that's a guy who loves his job. That's a football guy. I think he's gonna do a good job because I think that he's a real leader, and I think that that's a guy that that uh is gonna lead i wanted to now now also quickly here. yeah again my guy bob wiley do you think he really is no john dorsey's guy no <laughs> do, you, do you think he's the he might be the answer look i think that we're gonna see a so i think that we're gonna see a surprise i think that we're not gonna i don't think i mean I, you and i definitely aren't going to but let's I take don't... some prop bets here mm. who do we think it's a good question who's available I got five dollars on Jeff Fisher. No, come on. Let's be real. If they wanted to go eight and eight, why would they fire Hugh Jackson? Well, he probably was only going to take him to four and twelve. Right, four and twelve. So exactly. if they double, wanted to go, I double mean, the win total. Why would they want to go eight and eight? What would that get them? Um, their first non-losing season since two thousand and two. Yeah, but in the in the long run, right? Like, if what's their goal? It's to like make a name for themselves. It's to make the playoffs. Exactly. So not <laughs> it's to Jeff not Fisher. it's to not fold again. Also, like who who if you. They have a great quarterback in Baker Mayfield. 
I think that I think that he's the best rookie quarterback so far to this point, in my opinion. From watching all of them, I think that he has played the best in the first eight games. And I know, obviously, Josh Allen's out. I know Josh Rosen didn't play the hasn't played every game. Like I know that they haven't all gone, and it's only eight games, so time will tell. But for my money, Baker Mayfield's been great. And are you really going to bring in Jeff Fisher to ruin that guy? Um, no. I don't know. I'm just saying it's a possibility. Give me a name here. Who do you think? Who who do you think is John Dorsey's secret guy who he's banking on for next season? Well, I think it's a secret, so I don't know, especially because I'm not like the number one football guy. A name that I'll throw out there, which I don't think is likely, but I don't know. Maybe a, maybe a uh, John Harbaugh? Maybe? Probably not because he's not doing so well up in Michigan. But I'm I'm gonna say that John Harbaugh would, would be a fool to leave the Michigan job for he left the 49ers job for the Michigan job. Yeah. Why would he leave the Michigan job for the Browns job? I don't know. That would be a real downward <laughs> spiral. Right. Well, not really. I actually there's some debate in my mind as to whether like I feel like Ann Arbor is a great place to live, a great place to have a family, like a, you know a great place to be. It's also just mi- Michigan, like. But it's Ann it's, Arbor. Have you ever been to Ann Arbor? I've never been to Michigan. Okay, so why don't you go? I've been. Is it nice? It's really nice. It's yeah. really nice. It's it's supposed to be cool. Yeah, it's really awesome. Apparently, like the the big house, um, it's awesome. I mean, I haven't been there. Like, like obviously it's crazy, but apparently like it's built like into the ground. Mm-hmm. So you walk up to it from the street and like it looks like a regular building. And you walk in and it's like enormous because it's all built down into the ground. Mm-hmm. Like it's crazy. But I, honestly, my number one candidate here for this Browns job, I think this is John Dorsey's guy. I think John DeFlippo, the offensive coordinator for the Vikings. Last year, he was the quarterback's coach in Philadelphia, obviously leading them to the Super Bowl title, guiding... Carson Wentz and later Nick Foles. He's a, he's a quarterback guru. It's exactly what the Browns need for Baker Mayfield going forward. I think he's the I think he's the guy for next season. Here's my question. Let's say it's John DeFlippo. Do you think Greg Williams stays around as defensive coordinator? I would keep him. Yeah, I'd keep him as well. I think that Browns defense is pretty good, and I think it's it has some uh, it has a ton of young here's talent. A, wait, someone here's something that no one's noticing about the Browns defense. They're winning the turnover battle like every single week. Every single week, the Browns have more have like more turnovers like that they've recovered they're a scrappy and, team for sure but they're not turning the ball over that much like they're, they're really they're yeah. as they say you know what they say ball security is job security that's right absolutely now i i think we've spent a little bit too much time talking about a two five and one team or whatever the heck they are i think we need to get in we have to get into some winning teams here okay i i think i think our first stop this Pats game just went final, twenty-five to six. Like there really isn't much to talk about there. Pats are good. Everyone knows it. We we all know it. Moving on. I think we got to talk about the game of the week. We got to talk Rams Packers. What a game it was. Rams are still eight and zero, twenty-nine twenty-seven. Now I thought, like obviously this is a side note. I thought that Joe Buck was going to pull it off. That he was <laughs> going to call the game of the week at four o'clock at the Coliseum in L.A. And then he was going to get into his car at seven thirty. And drive up to Dodger Stadium just in time for first pitch of Game Five of the of the World Series. It would have worked out perfectly, but he didn't do it. We had I don't even know who who ended up calling that game, but what a game it was! This Rams, this mighty Rams offense, they were stymied a little bit in that first half. They really were. Like the the Packers defense kind of shocked them a little bit, um, and the Packers defense is is nothing to speak about really. Um, and they wanted I think the Packers are just a hard team to play against. I think they're a team that's been together for a while. I think they're a team with a reputation. I think they're a team that when you see them on the schedule, you circle them and you say, that's going to be a tough one. Also, I think their fans travel so well. 
Like that was Lambeau Field yeah. West. So I feel like maybe the Rams were surprised by having fans at a home game. And they didn't even really have fans. Like, yeah, exactly. Maybe, yeah, it, it was actually, no, I get that. It was a sellout, but it wasn't their kind of sellout. <laughs> <laughs> it was the amount of cheeseheads in the crowd. At one point, Jared Goff like ran to the sideline and he like jumped up to like give a high five. And it's just a wall of Packers fans standing there. Like, it's it was so sad. Um for a team that plays in L.A. Well, the other thing, by the way, is that uh, you mentioned this to me. They do such a bad job covering up all the USC markings <laughs> on that field. It's like you can – They do, are second fiddle to, to USC. I mean, you can see the Pac-12 logos everywhere. You can see – like the, Edzo, the end zone is kind of like this weird purple color. Yeah, right, because it's, it's like literally the – that is spray painted the blue over the red. They didn't even get rid of the red. So it is it's just this bad mix. And at midfield, you can blatantly see the SC yeah. with, the, with, with the hastily drawn Rams helmet right over it, also in an ugly purple color. Yeah, it just looks it, it looks gross. It really I mean, did. It's honestly kind of an – I think that – okay, here's my – ready? Hot take alert. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Maybe someone will sponsor that one day. Uh, maybe. Uh, We're still – we're still on the market for Yes, yeah, slide into the DMs, <laughs> at K&K Podcast. Yeah, uh, hit us up. Or hit me up. My personal phone number is 781 Please don't do that. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, there, okay. There it is. It's out there. My hot take is that uh, that the Rams are a better team because of the grittiness in which they're forced to, to play in. You know, no comfy cush home stadium, you know, every game's a road game for them. That's a team that's learning, that's battling adversity. And they play, yeah, they, I mean, they're battling adversity, but, like, adversity only goes so far when you play in L.A., and it's 70 degrees and sunny every single game. <laughs> like That's that, pretty nice. That that's adversity, I, I guess it's more apparent on the road when you actually go to well, a place that has well, seasons. Okay. Hey, those, those August preseason games, that's pretty hot. Does it ever really get that hot in LA? Yes. Does it actually? Yeah, it gets really hot. Like sometimes. I know, like one game last season, it got to like a hundred or something. Um, yeah, giant thermometers. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, but, it's not Jacksonville, but it gets really hot there sometimes. And the other thing, by the way, okay, those players, it's not all fun in games. You ever heard of June gloom? No. Okay, in June, sometimes it gets down to like sixty, and it gets really foggy. Okay. Like it's what do you bad. want them to do with that? It, it's too bad it's June and now it's it's not football season. Okay, but hey, they're they're training. Isn't isn't June when OTAs are? Yes. Okay. But the Rams where do the Rams even train? I don't even know. Do they even have a training facility? I think they train maybe they just go back to St. Louis. No, I think the Rams train, train at like a college facility like two and a, two hours north of LA or something like that. Okay. So like in the middle of the desert. Yeah, um okay. Maybe they don't well, have June. What if they train in St. Louis? That would be sad. That would be so sad. <laughs> that would be really sad. They I, trained like under the Gateway Arch. I don't. It just ran plays there. I, I don't think they do that. <laughs> Something tells me that is not what they do. I think like they might have more fan support for that than they would for regular season Here's my games question. in LA. Are you, are you fully on board Rams are unstoppable? Because I think they're unstoppable. No. They have a tough schedule coming up. Like, we, we've mentioned this before. We talked about it last week, and I said, look, they're going to lose one game of the four. I thought that they were going to lose this game, and they should have lost this game. But they If didn't. Ty Montgomery doesn't bring that ball out of the end zone at the end of the game, Aaron Rodgers would have had a chance, and destiny has it that he would have driven that team down the field and would have handed that team the But first here's loss. the deal. Here's the deal. It's not on the Rams that the other guys messed up, right? It's not on them. So they took advantage of the situation kind of they won. I think it on them because they didn't play a clean football game. They didn't play Rams football, but they got the win, and they're gonna they're gonna 
And obviously, Sean, Mc, Sean McVay knows that. He's going to address that in the week. And I bet they're going to come back with Cooper Cup back, maybe. And they're going to look great. Really, what I think this is, this is the Carolina, this is the 2015 Carolina Panthers. That's what it is. They're they're a team that's going to start 9-0. and They'll end up losing one, at most, two games. They'll probably lose like a week. Hold on. I, I'm going to pull up their schedule quickly. But... They're going to lose one, maybe two games. They're going to probably go to the Super Bowl. And then I see them losing in the Super Bowl to a, a more veteran, experienced team, just like Carolina did in 2015. Is that team the Chargers? Is no. that team no. Houston? Is that team the Patriots? Here's why it's Is not that the team Chargers. Kansas City? Okay, the Chargers are done, right? I was reading Joy Bosa's not even close to coming back. They're done. That's my Super Bowl pick. All LA Super Bowl, the most apathetic Super Bowl of all time. Um, I, the I only think person there is going to be Marlins man. Honestly, I think Marlins man. He, 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 yeah, he'll definitely. Be I think there. he said he's been to twenty three Super Bowls. And Snoop Dogg, mm-hmm. Snoop Dogg will be there too. Maybe YG, he'll be there. Um, no, honestly, next three games they're at New Orleans this week. Yep, they might lose that game. They that, might. That might be their first loss. I think in, they could be in, in the Superdome to the second best team in the NFC. That's a great yep. game. Then they're home against Seattle. Seattle's always tough. They're always but tough. But it's a lot easier to win at home against Seattle than on the road against Seattle. Well, it's it's at home in L.A., asterisks there. Mm, that's true. <laughs> Seattle's got a big fan base. They have the whole West, pretty much. And, and then they're in Mexico against Kansas City. God help whoever's at that game. Um, that's that's going to be a wild one. It, it was wild last season with the Raiders and the Patriots. It's going to be wild this year, too. Um, All right. I don't know. I what, their first loss of the season is going to come in one of the next three games heading into their bye week, and then I say they lose one more week seventeen. I think no, C- no, no, no. We determined that they were going to win week seventeen. Did we determine that? Well, I think I think we said that they're playing the uh, the Forty Niners. Playing the Forty Niners. Yeah, so their backups could be okay, the Forty Niners. Okay, uh, as announced here at the Colin Castle Show, they will lo- they will lose one game over the next three and win week seventeen. I think they will win the Super Bowl. I really do. I think they're unstoppable. Here's what I want to say, Giants. Somehow were favorite against the four and two uh, Washington Redskins. Disrespect. They were favorites, and they lost. Hold on, be careful throwing around that R word around in uh, okay. in these parts. Apologies. Okay. Now is that we moved on from that. The, yeah, it's just disrespect. I talk about disrespect in the power rankings. Disrespect in Vegas having <laughs> having Washington. I believe they were like three and a half point favorites. Um, Washington is a sleeper team in the NFC. They're five and two. And the Giants are still really bad. We we know what the Giants are. We're we're a public service show here in upstate New York. We know most of you out there are Giants fans, at least in this area. We we've got to throw them out there. And I'm sorry, they're really bad. They're really bad. I and and the thing is, I don't know if there's much help in the future. I don't see I don't see a top quarterback prospect available that'll turn this team around in next year's draft because that's really what you need. And like we talk all like all the time about how it, like is it really Eli's fault and like. Is it like obviously like like the quarterback is the most heavily scrutinized position, but is it really his fault? I think no is what I want to say honestly because like watching recently like they haven't he's had like one second to throw. You can't run a route in one second, not a good mm-hmm. one, not a route that's going to do anything, right? Like if you when it's like third and long and he's got and he's got three quarters of a second in the pocket, like what do you expect him to do? Right. Like what, uh, what? See, the problem is, it's like it's almost an impossible situation for the Giants because because everyone knows, like they've like they've they've traded away key pieces on defense already. Like they're already banking on a top pick next year, but it, it's not a flashy move to draft an offensive lineman with the first or second pick next year because I think that's what that's what they're going to end up getting. The fans in New York and everywhere else are going to want them 
to pick a quarterback. And I don't want this team to reach and pick a, a quarterback that isn't deserving of a number one pick. Well, here's what I'm going to say, right? I mean, I've said this a million times before. We've talked about this a lot. The best pick, at no matter the number, is your number one need if you feel is a guy. If you feel you're getting an offensive lineman that's going to be the best offensive lineman in the league or the best one in the draft, and you pick him second overall, and that is your most pressing need, you feel you've got a quarterback, you've got receivers, you've got whatever, all he needs is time in the pocket, then that's what you need, and it's worth that pick. And maybe you can trade down to number 10 if you can still get something back. But at the end of the day, drafting is about filling needs. It's not about... Absolutely. Absolutely. It is completely about filling needs. But... As we've talked about before, Joe Thomas played for the Cleveland Browns for how many years? 15 years? $122 million, 850000 He He made a lot of money for them, and yep. he was the best left tackle in the NFL for pretty much his entire career. And it's been proven at this point that that was a complete waste of money. $122 million down the drain because a left tackle with no one to block for <laughs> is just a useless, it's just a useless position. Like there is no point in it. Like it's just like, it's just one of those things where like you can have an edge rusher and pay him a ton of money and he will produce for you. But a left tackle is no good without a good quarterback <laughs> or a good running back for that matter to block for. And I don't know. Like drafting a le- like say s- say they pick a left guard in next year's draft, like just out of the blue, a left guard is still gonna be blocking for a thirty nine year old Eli Manning. <laughs> yeah, but the, the thing is, is that like Eli Manning is an average quarterback with time in the pocket. Yeah, I, I'd give him that, and they do have Saquon Barkley. They do have that. And they have for Saquon Barkley, and they have Odell Beckham. They've got Evan Ingram, who's a promising young tight end. Right. So Sterling they- Shepard. They've got talent on offense. They really do. So they need to put it all together, and if that if the offensive lineman is what they need, or if they can get it via trade, a guy who's legit, then I say that's what they need. I, I completely agree. Now I think we have to talk about one more team here, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Fitz Magic. Fitz Magic is back. It won't go away. Better than ever. Can I say this? I said this to you before we got on air, but I want to say it again. The uh, Fitz Magic, at his best is significantly better than Jameis Winston at his best. Here's what I was reading. He's a gunslinger. He's the definition of a gunslinger. Here's what I was reading, right? Jameis Winston has, I think, $21 million next season team option. Yep. But it's injury. It's his fifth-year deal, right? It's his fifth-year rookie option. It's injury-proof. Like, so if he gets injured, he gets it all. So if I'm I'm the Bucs, why don't I just play Fitzmagic for the next eight games? Let – and just – I mean, and just let it – let it run its course. And make sure he doesn't get Jameis doesn't get hurt. Get that money off the books. Maybe let Fitzmagic walk too, or keep him around. Let Fitzmagic get his ten million dollar deal somewhere. You know, make a little money. And, and you know, I, I I don't can't see any reason why Jameis Winston should touch the NFL field again for the Bucks. Jameis Winston is done. He he is proven now as a bust. He has I mean, ten interceptions in the four games that he's been. Do back. You, do you, do you see? Did you watch any any of him? Like literally, he's like he's like doing a spider walk around in the pocket. He's like jumping up, like you know, you know the Fortnite dance, like we where the guys like he's got his hand down low and it's like his head and yep and uh, like the L and he's like yeah and he's like moving his legs. I don't know if that's the name for it, but yeah, I just know yeah. That. Jameis Winston is like he is like doing that like that like kind of bouncing around on his legs like in the pocket and he's like doing spin moves under no pressure right he's he's acting as if like the spin move like he'll turn around and the downfield will look different right which is not how football works see i i only tune into the bucks if i see fizz magic is playing i saw him come in there in the fourth quarter and i was like okay this is a must watch and he he makes a couple more incredible throws he he gets that game tying or 
Yeah, was, two point conversion was, to tie it the was game. The, yes, it was the touchdown to Mike Evans. When you throw to Mike Evans and not the defense, <laughs> good things are going to happen. <laughs> good things did happen. They were down two. Then he threw a, a needle, an absolute needle here's to the, tie the game. Here's with the, the, the other the thing about Jameis Winston is that like, it's not even like he's making like the uh, the defense work for it. Like he's just blatantly overthrowing his receivers by like five feet above their head, and it's just falling into the laps. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just. It's just. It's. It's like he's aiming for the other guys. It, it is. And it's just, it's just, like the, the story of Jameis Winston, the former number one overall pick, is that he, he is the same football player that he was when he was drafted. He was a player with, with a lot of talent, a lot of raw talent with character flags and turnover problems. It's what he was in college, and it's what he was when he was drafted first overall, and he has not shed that, that storyline here in his fourth year in the NFL. Can I say this? Here's one thing which people don't understand about uh, about about uh, drafting quarterbacks. You, re- I mean, I'm not a big, I'm not a huge football guy. Like, I don't claim to have any like major insight into the game. But here's one thing that I read time and time again: always bet on accuracy. You can make a guy stronger, you can make a guy better, but it's a lot harder to make a guy who's 23 years old, 25 years old, 29 years old, 30 years old to be more accurate. Now, in the case of Josh Allen. There's a notable exception because you have to sometimes assess what the receivers look like because Josh Allen was was actually throwing a lot of good balls in college that were getting dropped, right? So maybe that's not on him. And I don't think it was on him. because He I played think, at Wyoming. <laughs> no, right? Exactly. So he played at Wyoming. So maybe his lack of accuracy, like you can forgive something there. But in general, a good player that's not accurate in college is not going to become more accurate with a better defense in the NFL. I completely agree that you need to bet on accuracy. I think accuracy is the most important. But I think you look at a guy like Tyrod Taylor. Like, my take on him for years has been that Tyrod Taylor is one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the NFL. He is the best touchdown to interception percentage in the league over the last two years, believe it or not. But you think he's too safe. He just doesn't take enough risks. You need a good balance between an accurate quarterback and a guy who's going to take the necessary risks to get your team down the field and getting points. Okay, but here's here's the other the counterpoint that I'll make to Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor is a guy who's been in the league for some time. He's a guy who I think will stay in the league for some time. And more importantly... He's a guy who is really solid. And obviously, I don't think that he's necessarily a guy that's leading you to a Super Bowl. But I do believe that if you're a team that's like that... If you have enough talent around him. Not even if you have enough talent around him. A lot of owners, you have to understand that like if they're going like 8-8, eight you know, 9-7, and seven, and they're making a whole lot of change, like they maybe don't care that much. Like something people forget about sports is that it's a business. And if these guys are making money, sometimes they're okay with just being good enough to fill their stadium. Right. Exactly. And And Tyrod Taylor is good enough to fill the stadium and not good enough to win the Super Bowl. He was good enough to get the Browns to the playoffs. I'm sorry, not the Browns. The Bills to the playoffs last year for exactly. the first time in forever. And I think he's a. I mean, I don't. And think, that's all they wanted. I don't think there's any like way you could say that he's not a good quarterback. I will agree, he's not great. Yes, exactly. Now, I I think that's going to wrap up our NFL talk. It's sad to say, but the NFL season is now half over. It, it really is. Well, it pains you, me to if say. If you this. count playoffs, I think we've got a uh, we've got another like week and a half till it's half over. Yeah, yeah, this is true. But like either way. Just hearing hearing the words week nine, it makes me kind of sad. Now that you have six teams on by next week, oh. rendering the home stretch. No, I mean, week 10 is going to when you really get set double digits. Who needs that? We're going to take a break, though. Stick around. We've got NBA and NHL talk on the other side. I'll have none of your guff. You can't do that. 
Dallas Kelly, number 10, two minutes for <laughs> So you can't, let me just get this straight. It was this, it was the hand signal of I'll have none of your guff. The verbal, you can't do that. Yeah. And then announcing the penalty. Yeah. All right. Welcome back to the Kyle and Kasnoff show. Let's start our final segment in the National Basketball Association. We're coming back to the NBA here. We talked yep. a, we talked a little Cleveland earlier. If you want to talk about teams that are an absolute embarrassment it seems Chicago Bulls, they were de- they had let up 92 points before halftime today to the Warriors. Yep. Clay Clay Thompson set an NBA record 14 threes in a game. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. The Warriors are are unstoppable. They they really are. They've lost one game somehow. And this is the Warriors team that doesn't have Boogie Cousins. And I think honestly like like this is almost just business as usual for them. I think the real story for them is that hilarious video they sent out the other day of them dancing to to the Fergie National Anthem remix. Yeah, that was That was so funny. That was, um No, I mean honestly though, Clay Thompson 52 points in 27 minutes. Yeah. He's a he's a microwave. He, he went really eight, is. he went eighteen for twenty nine. Here's the other thing, by the 29 way. Twenty nine shots in twenty seven minutes. Those are Kobe numbers right there. <laughs> Here's the other thing. The game was hundred and forty nine to hundred and twenty four. The Warriors didn't even play defense. That's an all star game. They right knew there. they could just outscore them. Right, exactly. They're and, like, we'll just let them score to get the ball back, we'll do it again. We'll score we'll make a three. They only got two. Yep, that's really embarrassing for the Bulls. hundred and forty nine points, that is a number that is only achieved once, maybe twice in an NBA season, and it happens here in the first week or the, the first two weeks. The Bucks, by the way, they're seven and zero. The Bucks are seven and zero. This is a good team. This is the team that, like, honestly, the Bucks, Raptors, both those teams are serious title contenders. I think the Bucks are a young team. They were the favorites to top the Celtics in the first round of the playoffs last year. The Celtics would end up winning in seven, obviously. Um, but this is a young team. Giannis Antetokounmpo is the best player in the NBA, I think. Um, I think he'll he'll have the most statistically dominant season this year. I, I think he'll I think he may average twenty eight, twelve, and eight or something like crazy like that. Um, I think he's the sleeper MVP pick if if this Bucks team can keep it up. Obviously, they're not going to go you know seventy nine and and three, but th- like this is a team that can win sixty games. I think hypothetically. Same with the Raptors. The Raptors are also a sixty win team. The Celtics. It's been kind of. It hasn't been the start that I've wanted to it's see. Been from a little them. lackluster. Kyrie and Gordon Hayward are not looking that great. It's just. It's hard to find all these guys like. The Warriors have really carved out each of their roles so perfectly, and I think the Celtics have a lot of guys who just do pretty much the same thing. They have these like lanky wings who can play all these positions. They're not, and, and I don't know. I, I just think they're having a hard time with their overlapping talent there. But I, I think still the Celtics are going to be the team just based on pure talent that comes out on top here in the East. Okay, can I can I read you some stats tonight? First yeah. of all, you want to see some, you want to know something despicable? The Lakers are two and five. Not my LeBron. Not, that, that's it. Not my LeBron. Didn't even have a triple double tonight. And it's LeBron. I just called you the best player of all time. Earlier, he, he only he only went twenty nine ten and eight. Okay, come on, LeBron, be better. But you want we know all know what, he doesn't even really care about how the season yeah. goes. He just wants his TV deals. You you want to <laughs> know what the craziest thing about the Lakers one hundred twenty to one hundred twenty four loss to the Timberwolves tonight is what? Javale McGee played eight seconds short of thirty one minutes. Javale McGee has had kind of a big season for the Lakers so far. Like people aren't talking about it. Like Yeah, but I mean he's playing well. 31 <coughs> minutes. I mean he's averaging 25 minutes a game for the season. That's insane. 
JaVale McGee played like eight minutes a game for the Warriors. I think occasionally he's a guy who just needs to be kind of spun around. He needs to remember what side of the court they're scoring on. He needs to remember like what what you know like where what where they are. He's the Ben Roethlisberger of the NBA. Like <laughs> he just loses his way sometimes. But when he has his way, he he can actually be a dangerous player. He's lanky. He's seven two. He's got like an eight foot wingspan. He's incredibly athletic. Um, when his head's in the game, he's a dynamic player for sure. Uh, but this Lakers team obviously is is underachieving here through seven games. In a really competitive West, I don't see this team going any further than the first round. Um, but yeah, it's like this NBA season has gone pretty much so far by the books, I would say. Um, with the exception of maybe the Lakers and the Celtics kind of underachieving. Um, it's shaking out how everyone thought it would. And um, But... Regardless, the best is yet to come. Once once football ends, baseball is already over. Once football ends, really is when it's it's peak NBA for for sure. Okay, before we finish the show with some hockey, I just want to ask a question: Which team will be the worst team in the New York metro area? Area, the Nets or the Knicks? Um, I think the Knicks have the bleaker outlook for sure <laughs> i think the nets that is sad the nets i think still lose a pick this year like it's their last year that they that they lose a pick to that now infamous trade with with boston years ago oh my god with guys who are multiple years out of the league at this point um but i think the knicks like in terms of like how their roster is currently constructed i think they have the bleaker outlook they have the best player on either team and in, in, in uh Chris Das Porzingis by far. What about Ennis Connor? I like Ennis Connor is 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 a is a good player. I think there's a warrant out for his arrest in Turkey. Yes, but that's just because it's Turkey. Uh, like I actually well, like let's not bash Turkey. I was actually I was well t- Turkey. Turkey is a fantastic country. It's a, it's a place that I would love to visit. But their president right now is 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 uh, not great. Let's it's stick to sports. It's, it's not great. We're sticking to sports. I I just don't. I just don't want my man and and notorious LeBron hater and his can to get any hate here, um, but I I think that just it being the Knicks and I don't know it's it, it's the Knicks so they're gonna get free agents at some point and the Nets don't have that luxury being the second team in New York it's kind of like and being in Brooklyn. Well, I mean, people actually like it there. Brooklyn, it's supposed to be nice, I guess. Yeah, I don't is. know. I don't really know anything about it. I've been to a Nets game years ago, but um, they have kind of flashy uniforms. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't, I don't really have anything bad to say about Brooklyn except for the fact that I know the Islanders hate playing in Brooklyn. Right, because it's just not a hockey arena. Like, yeah, it's just, not it just a hockey just wasn't, arena. It just wasn't meant to be. Um, but they're moving back to the Col- I mean, uh, Nassau Coliseum, right? At well, some point? they're doing this. We're, we're gonna, we're gonna switch to hockey now. Uh, the the Islanders are doing this weird thing. So they have a new. They're gonna build a new building, like pending some approvals out in Belmont, like where the Belmont Stakes is, basically. But this season, they're like splitting their home games between Nassau Coliseum and uh, and the it was Barclay just, Center. It was just recently renovated, right? The, uh, Nassau was, I believe, a little bit. But they're they're not going back there in any like permanent capacity. They're just like they're just gonna play like I think twenty home games there's, there this year. Which is just weird. It's just weird to have two home rings. Yes, yeah, so they're a team really without a home at this point. Like Basically. The, because I believe the story was last year that 
um, the owner of the Nets, I forget what his name is. It's it's that Russian oligarch um, who who also owns the Barclays Center was essentially go, trying to kick out the Islanders because they were losing money off Islanders games at, at the Barclays Center. Well, the Islanders also wanted to leave because every member of the team hated playing there. Right, so it was a mutual hatred. <laughs> but, the, but the problem was that the Islanders just don't have anywhere to go. Well, until they build their new arena, which who knows when that's going to be done. Right, exactly. But, like, I, I, I think that, like, I'm looking at it right now, like, the Coliseum was recently renovated. It's it's obviously like it isn't like I've never been there, but I hear, I hear it's in the middle I've been of nowhere there many times. I hear it's in the middle of nowhere. It's kind of old and run down. It's actually it was. Like in the it's just in the middle of a parking lot. And basically, here here let me let me paint the picture. Right, you get off the highway, you pull up to the main road, you take a right, then you take a right to turn in. It's a massive parking lot. You're you're looking in you're in the parking lot. Directly in front of you is this big circular dome. That's the Coliseum. To the right. Like immediately to the right is like a Marriott hotel, and then to the left is Hofstra University, like directly next to it. Right. So I like, um, apparently like I'm like I'm still looking at this now. Apparently like the plan is that they're gonna build a yeah. an arena and a new soccer stadium for NYCFC at uh, adjacent to the Belmont Park racetrack. And you you know who's gonna own that by the way? Who? Jimmy Dolan. Really? Who owns the Rangers? And the deal's going to... What a class act that guy is. The deal's going to be, if you play... <laughs> the team's only going up from there. You know, the, the deal's going to be, if you play MSG, you play Belmont Arena. Huh. So that's... He's going to build it because he owns that. Right. I want to talk some real hockey stuff, though. Ottawa said... That's got to be a conflict of interest, no? I'm sorry, like, we can move on, but... Oh, because he owns... He's owning both up, arenas, like, mm, that's got to be kind of a cancellation there in terms of hosting events, right? I don't think he cares. I don't think anyone cares. I'm sure multiple... I like, arenas are... Some arenas are owned by big companies. Some are... Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't okay. matter. I, I, okay. Right? Like, iHeartRadio owns, like, half the radio stations in America. Like, it's not really a conflict of interest. Right, but that's all independent local radio stations, though, you know? But they're all owned by iHeartRadio. Whatever. We're moving on. We're talking about a, a talking, range for a certain region. Yeah, we're talking real hockey now. Ottawa Senators defense and Mark Borvietsky accomplished a rare feat. He got suspended twice in one week. First, he elbowed Bruins defenseman, I believe he's a defenseman, uh, Erho Vakanainen in the face, giving him a concussion, which earned him a one game suspension. Then he comes back uh, Sunday night. They're playing in Las Vegas. And granted, Cody Eakin had his head down, but uh, Borvietsky comes in skating like like a freight train, like into the defensive zone. Like he should not be up at that where Cody Eakin was. He comes all the way across and basically from the like kind of from a like he had his head down, but basically the way he hit him, the approach angle made it impossible not to get his head. Three game suspension. That's not great. No, wow. it's a tough look. It really is. You don't want to add anything to that? No, I mean, like, it's. I feel like this is pretty black and white here. I think, like, the, like you just can't have this happen. Like, it's Look, just really, it's embarrassing. It really is. The NHL is getting really tough on hits to the head. And I want to say very clearly, I'm in full support of that. I think that a lot of these, some of these older school hockey guys are all like, it's losing its toughness, blah, 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 blah. The NHL is not losing its toughness. What is, What can be tough about the NHL besides the, like, What's, what's tough about the NHL doesn't have to be playing through a brain injury. What's tough about the NHL can be being on top of your game for an 82-game schedule. What's tough about the NHL can be grinding in the corners. There's a difference between getting your head taken off in the neutral zone or in like when you're skating out with the puck. 
even though I recognize he did have his head down. So that was bad on Cody Eakin, but still you should trust that a guy's not going to take your head out, right? If he came in and made strong shoulder to shoulder contact, didn't touch the head, I mean, that's a keep your head up, bud. Right. Rumor has it Clay Matthews was called for a roughing the passer on that very hit. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I'm just saying, like, because all the time we see big hits and no one says any, no one gets up in arms about them. And, 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 People they only get mad when they're actually illegal hits that people get mad at. Right. No one like because people don't get mad. Like the other day, Matt Barzell got clobbered by uh, Ivan Provorov when the Islanders were playing the Flyers, and no one got mad at that. You know why? Because Provorov used his shoulder, hit him square in the body, didn't touch the head, and he got absolutely destroyed by the hit. And everyone was like, "Great hit," because it was a good. So it's more to the sense that if you hit the right way. You're going to have no problems. It's not a soft league. Guys just have to learn how to hit the right way. And I think that guys like Tom Wilson should sit out 20 games for and what this they is, did. And this is the same storyline that's in the NFL. The NFL is not getting softer. Players just need to learn to hit cleaner. Like, they just learn... They they need to stop leading with the head and aiming for the head. And they just need to... Lead, like, like you can still have hard, clean hits in football leading with the shoulder. And, it, like, I, I just... It, it's it's pretty much the same deal. I yeah, guess. no, it's exactly the same deal. Like, it, I mean, I I've played like I played a little bit of hockey, and I I also uh, one time I was tackled like full body, and I I didn't get hit in the head. And let me tell you, I felt it. Mm-hmm. I felt it. Right. Okay. And, the, and there was no flag on the play. There was, <laughs> there was well, no whistle. There was no whistle. There should have been because I didn't know I was in play. But the the oh. last thing I want to talk about in hockey wise, the NHL's Edmonton Oilers, they start the season zero and two. They're criminally underrepresented. Connor McDavid, I think he's played like three less games than the other guys, and he's he's got 17 points. He's only behind by four. He's having a great season. He'll probably win the Art Ross for league scoring again. 2-0, and I mean, sorry, 0-2, and, and basically everyone's like, game three, their third game of the season versus the Rangers is a must win. They did win. I was at that game live. The Oilers did not look good, actually. But every single game they've got better – since they started 0-2, they're 6-1-1, top of the Pacific. And while the Oilers still have a lot of problems, they still are going to need to make some trades to get better. It's going to be a lot easier for Peter Shirelli to make a good deal dealing from the top of the Pacific than it is to be in, like, dead last, for example. And Because NHL GMs, they smell blood. And if you're dead last, they'll say, oh, yeah, I'll help you out. But it's not really help they're offering. But when you're top of the Pacific and that guy says, I'll help you out, you you can say... Well, actually, I don't need your terrible deal, so I'll go find someone else who make make something worth my time. Right. I mean, in this in this Oilers team, obviously, this is a fantastic start for them. This is better than what they obviously could have hoped for uh, heading into the season. Like this team was essentially a dumpster fire. And, I think and Connor McDavid. I think the narrative is not everything they could have hoped for. I think the result is very good. The result is definitely very good because they've, the, the, they've had a number of clutch overtime yeah, wins. The narrative was they're done and they're finished. Basically, after two games. Yeah. But, I mean, honestly, first of all, let me just say this. I think I think we said that yeah. on, on, on air here. Possibly. Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl in overtime are ridiculous. It's a it's a living cheat code. It's, uh, I mean, they did lose in overtime to the Penguins, but Connor McDavid was not on the ice then. Ryan Strom got just, like, destroyed by Sidney Crosby. But, like... Just watching them in overtime, you could just watch goal after goal after goal, season after season. It's insanity. Like, that's something that, like, having those two guys alone and the ex- the number of extra points they'll get all year, like, long throughout all the years that they're going to play together is going to be 
just a delight to watch if you're an Oilers fan. And I think that's going to do it for us here on the Kyle and Kasanoff Show. We thank you so kindly for watching. Have a great week. And maybe tune in this weekend to our Twitter, at K&K Podcast. Maybe we'll be posting a little content. We're going to the Sabres game this weekend. Stay tuned and have a great week.